And you're very welcome to episode 36 of LOI Weekly with Johnny Ward and Dan McDonnell. And uh, we've tried to have a special guest on every week this year. And I think we've managed that again in the form of Stephen Kenny. First of all, we really have to apologize for last week. Uh, we had Johnny McDonnell and Brian Kerr in. And um, Dan, what happened was we did a bit of a sound problem. But just so people realize, it actually was a great kind of it hour was, and a half. It was really good. If yeah. you were there. But it, it gave people like the dressing room feel of what it would be like to be in a dressing yeah. room with them. Um, fair play to everyone who stuck with it, but we, it was only afterwards that we realised. And we, I mean, in years to come, we'll we'll say what a brilliant podcast it was. We even lost thirty minutes of it. I mean, some amazing material in there. That's yeah, just lost, lost was, to the archives. It was a shame. It was like the time uh, Galway United signed a guy called Llewellyn Riley. He was part of the Barbados Revolution. Eric Levine. And oh yeah, remember them guys? Do you remember Eric Levine? Yeah. I signed Eric Levine. You signed Eric I signed Levine from, at Longford. For Longford. I, I signed him from Galway, and what a terrific play! He played in Europe for us uh, against. Um, uh, the, the the Bulgarian side was this? I can't believe it's it's escaped me. Yeah, um, Litex Lovic, yeah, of course. Oh, and yeah. and uh, we 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 drew at home and and we played away. And um, he was he was terrific. He, he was he, you know, and obviously I, I subsequently moved on and he, he stayed on and had a good great time at Longford. And uh, you know, Eric is Eric Eric was a good, great player for Galway. He was. He was very popular in Galway, particularly with the ladies. Um, he, the ladies loved him. Um, it'd be fair to say there weren't many Caribbean lads in Galway in the yeah. mid to late 90s. But we signed a guy called Llewellyn Riley, and um, he made one appearance for us in Turner's Cross. It was snowing. We lost the game, and we never saw him again. <laughs> so it was like, I saw Llewellyn Riley. We had these T-shirts, and like there were 10 away fans at the game. So the podcast is a bit like that, Dan. That was our Llewellyn Riley. That was our week. Llewellyn Riley. I wonder what he's at now, like... But um, so we do apologise for that. And there was uh, there was three three players at the time come over and just done a weird and signed three. For yeah, Ryan Lucas, mm. um, uh, obviously Eric, and my obviously I think the favourite player of us all was Luther Will, uh, Luther Watson in midfield, mm. really hardy midfielder. Well, I, I was managing Longford in the first division at the time, and Galway actually went up that year, and uh, they had the three of those in, in the team at that time, and uh, you know done, done a reardon at that time, done a terrific job with, with Galway. I remember uh, good crowds. At, he was a great know. buzz. Yeah, yeah. Tom think, was very well liked. Yeah, and a very very good coach. Um, you know. Someone who you would respect. I thought he was. I thought he was excellent. Yeah, um, that's actually whetted the appetite because we're going to talk to Stephen about life from Longford Town to, I suppose, the cup final upcoming as well. Um, and we're going to just recap on the results shortly as well. But as ever, we're on podcast for Public Stitcher, SoundCloud. Uh, iTunes, Snapchat, and we have a fair bit to get through. We have to send our commiserations to Finn Harps, who uh, were relegated uh, actually without playing at the weekend because their game was called off in Bally Buffet. And uh, before we get to results, Dan, this is a point you've made recently, and we, we, we saw this in Soccer Republic, um, I think, on, on, on last night. You know, you, People who advocate going back to winter football really should watch some of the pitches of late. This is only in mid-October when we haven't really had even cold weather yet. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even sure <clears throat> if it's if it's wholly like a winter football issue. I mean, I I do believe it would be completely mad to return to winter football, um, because even more so now. Like, uh, and we've seen it in the last week, the stadiums just aren't durable enough to withstand it. I, I just a personal view watching the goals at the weekend. I mean, Durable is an interesting some bad, bad <laughs> some bad pitches and some bad defending and stadiums when they're exposed to the elements. It just doesn't. It doesn't look great. Like we we often talk about an advertisement for the league. You know that that was a great advertisement for the league. So you start looking at stuff at the weekend. You're thinking that's not that's not a good advertisement for the league. And it's actually interesting that we have Stephen here because I actually picked up a copy the other day of um, 
Uh, I got sent a copy of Green Shoots. It's a new book by Michael Walker, a journalist who I think might have interviewed you at the start of the year. He, he did a book on, uh, he's done a book on football, the history of Irish football, sort of north and south of the border. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very interesting, a bit of history, a uh, bit of stuff about, like, I think Brian Kerr's dad and, and th- that side of things. And through to the modern day and into the League of Ireland and the Irish League. And I think he spoke to you in it, Stephen. Um, and I think you made a point about stadiums the stadiums in the league and in the course of your interview and I think you spoke about Niall McGinn getting a move from Derry City after playing a cup final in the RDS and you said it was a proper match in a proper stadium that point is about presentation the same with Daryl Horgan and Andy Boyle they played good matches in good stadiums and they got their move the big problem as I see it is infrastructure people want to come to good stadiums they want to come to nice places and the games look better aesthetically I think that's a huge thing facilities pitches the move to the summer league has meant they're better but the stadiums when you compare them to other parts of europe they're not impressive is that still your sort of view on and 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 infrastructure and stadiums being a problem for the league people compare and say you know compare and contrast with scotland for example Mm. the worst stadium in the premier in scotland is better than the best stadium in ireland you know what i mean and that's that's um that's the reality you know i think um a lot of a lot of the clubs in the conference in England and in in the Scottish Fourth Division, have better stadiums than a lot of the teams in the Premier Division here. Mm. So that's the, the stadium issue is the biggest issue, I think. One of the biggest yeah. issues, you know. I think I think with it, you know throughout the league, one of the biggest issues. Because how do we address it? I mean, I think you made, you made a point in that piece about uh, should there be some kind of local government initiatives involved, and, and we have seen that here. In, in fairness, in terms of like Tala Stadium and and potentially like the, the redevelopment of Daily Mount and mm. obviously Turner's Cross probably would be up there in terms of yeah. stadiums and it's a Munster FA yeah, sort of venue. I mean, what, what is the I answer? Think, I think obviously Turner's Cross a four-sided ground. Yeah. And uh, the, the shed only covers half of that, but half of one side. So it's a four-sided ground. You need four-sided grounds. Mm. Um, that's one of the few grounds. I think in if you look throughout the grounds in the country, obviously the Brandywell has been re- redeveloped with... Um, with, with by the, Nor- the government of Northern Ireland, yeah. I think the uh, Bohemians now has been going to be redeveloped by apparently by the Irish government. Obviously, South Dublin County Council built Tallis Stadium and the Munster FA in Cork. So, it, it, external money. Do, I think very few clubs, Sligo, have their own ground mm-hmm. and they've done amazing work. And you know, they've on the on the cusp of going being relegated, they've done amazing work and building their their ground in such a way, you know, and they've financed it themselves. Limerick are trying to do it. You know, Limerick are. Uh, you know what they're, you know, obviously the owner there took over that ground. It's a long-term project, trying to. It's a big ground to, yeah. to, to redevelop. Yeah, potential, it. doesn't it? Yeah, but they, they, you know, they do have credit. But it's a huge. Owning your own stadium brings its own problems because it's huge. As we in, in your own situation, even Oriel Park's sort of an old stadium, antiquated stadium, but the cost of. Uh, heating <laughs> you know the, the maintenance issues constantly and and all of that there's a lot of costs in having your own stadium and the rates as well all of these things so i, th- I think yeah there's a lot of a lot of issues with owning your own stadium and i think in, in in places throughout europe that we traveled the you know the part government owned and even we went and played obviously pate borisov in belarus and the national team played there even though it's an hour and a half north yeah, of Minsk, yeah. and you know, I think they play there because it's 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 a government-built stadium, and that's that all of these things. Uh, so really, the FBI should be working, in, and I'm sure they are, but in conjunction with the government and in conjunction with the clubs, I, I, you know, a couple of million goes nowhere. Do you know that kind of way, really? You say, oh, you we went to Europe and you earned a couple of million, cannot build a stadium. That goes nowhere. Do you know what I mean? Really, you need, you need, it needs a lot, a fair amount of money, and it needs to be a collective strategy. 
because I, I can imagine just people are listening to this other club and they will be screaming saying, well, yeah, well, talk about grounds, but like Oriel Park, unfortunately, I think yeah. it's been acknowledged and I've spoken well, to people at the I've, club who are aware of... I've been, I've been the biggest critic, you yeah. know, I mean, and I'm the manager. So I think, that, you know, I think that's the case, you know what I mean? I think, uh, you know, we know that and, and, and the, the cl- we've only... Only the club have only got the lease in the last year. I think that's been the problem. Mm. You know, that's so. What's happening the there? Is, I mean, I know there's a huge youth development centre there. I gather yeah. it's a sort of a sprawling sort of building in terms yeah. of what are you sort of abreast of what's happening there? What are the plans going to be? Because you hear chatter about maybe dressing rooms and stuff going in there. I mean, how far off are, are changes with, with Oriel? As far as you're aware, I think overall everything's pretty imminent. You know, I think uh, it, it's um, obviously subject to planning and all of these things. I think there will, you know, I think there there will be exciting developments at at Dundalk over the next uh, couple of years. You know, I I, I believe, and uh, you know, so I think um, it just hasn't been instantaneous. People thought, all right, we got into the group stages, right? The stadium must be built tomorrow, and and we can right, so- suddenly play now, yeah. pay players extor- extortionate amounts of money then because you know what I mean but I think reality is uh, I think clubs that have their stadiums already built are in, in an advantage in that regard then you know I think yeah. but um, so that's 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 the reality I think I, I do think uh, good news is imminent in relation to, from, from, from Dundalk's point of view and we, we'll await developments over the next few weeks and good news um, in Drogheda as well, apparently, with regards to their ground move. Um, so we hear, Dan. Well, this is the thing. I mean, unfortunately, the, the two clubs that have gone down um, so far, uh, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> two, the two, there are two grounds you're not going to miss from the top flight, sadly. And there's great people involved with both of those clubs. And you always feel like you're in danger of being almost insulting to them when you're mm. suggesting that at the moment they're not going to be a loss in the pure aesthetic sort of sense. I mean, you, you look at Finn Park and you look at um, you look at United Park and you're thinking, oh God, you know. And as I said, you have that feeling when you look at Oriel sometimes and other grounds as well. So um, the only, like the, the argument from 12 to 10 is such a contentious one and a, a probably deeply unpopular one, I think, from speaking to people across the year. Um, but I, I, I have only thought if, there, if, if at least there was some kind of minimum standard of ground even to come out of it, so that at least the 10 grand, because Waterford will come up and it's sort of a decent enough yeah. facilities there. Um, I think that's the you problem. You would hope that, that all 10 are okay. I, you know? I think the thing, sorry for interrupting, but yeah. I think the thing is, it depends what your standards are. Mm. Do you know what I mean? We think some grounds are great. Oh, isn't that a great ground? But it's not. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And I think it depends what where 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 you start, where what your standards are in relation to it. We should look to have four sided grounds with seats at all four sides of all stadiums, you know. Yeah. And I think they, you know, every Premier League division. Yeah. Club. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, you know, I think all, all the ancillary facilities are connected to that as well, you know. And uh, that has to be the the minimum uh, requirement, you know. I think. I mm. think I think the clubs have no idea how to really get proper ancillary revenue in, in the sense that there's a lot of money to be made in a match day experience that. Like for a going out perspective, we're nowhere near there. We brought in a bar this year, but catering is a big issue. You know, um, we're struggling to even get the license to actually sell our own kind of produce at the ground. And mm. you know, you go to games in America and um, even in Iceland that time at the you FH. Go, you ground. go to games in the small. You go to games in Scunthorpe or the smallest. Mm. You know, the 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 places that you read on the pools panel or something yeah. on Saturday. Mm. But each one of those grounds 
is a a hub of mm. a community you know sort of mm. seven days even Dunfermline and yeah. places like that there's always stuff going on there definitely you know, stuff it's not just a Friday night place that you mm. put the keys on a Friday and absolutely sort of you close it at half ten and that's it mm. this know? is the longest it's ever taken to get to the results stand from uh, it's funny, but it's funny <laughs> from that point of view Dundalk is quite busy in that regard anyway. mm. like there's always I suppose maybe one of the advantages you know everyone prefers the best grass pitch you know, to be playing. I suppose one of the advantages of having, I suppose, the 3G is that it is a community focus. Like the schools finals are there, local finals are there. The, it's there's always matches and all year round as well. Yeah, during the day, in the mornings, you know, in the afternoons, in Sunday night, the local finals on Sunday nights and things like that. So it is, and there is three bars in the ground, and you know what I mean. So, or you know, or two and one, and one on the way, and and so, so from that point of view, it's. Uh, it is a sort of hope of the community in that regard. Actually, just on the pitch there, like when, when you put in the new pitch this season, yeah. um, people nearly forget how much better it seems to be than the old pitch. Are you kind of as against an artificial surface as you probably were when you had to deal with the old surface? Because this one, and speaking to some of the players, they, they seem to quite like it. And the ball seems to bounce naturally on it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been obviously a big improvement. And, uh, you know, I think... Um, you know, it's you know, it's been fine. Yeah, absolutely. You wouldn't you wouldn't have a major problem with this compared to like? Do you think grass in a sense? Oh, I think the best grass pitches are great. You yeah, know? yeah, the best grass pitches are are ideal. Um, but uh, you know, in but yeah, you know, at the first six seven weeks of the season, most of the grass pitches are in really poor condition. Mm. You know, and you know, I think um, so. Air pitch is much better than that, you know, yeah. much better than those pitches, you know, in that regard, you know, absolutely, you know. Um, right, just just to get through before we get to Stephen properly, uh, just to get through the, the results from last week, uh, starting with Bray beating Shamrock Rovers, and as as Dan alluded to, that that was played in um, Storm Bryan, was it? Uh, Forgotten about Storm Bryan, yeah. Yeah, it looked, in fairness, horrific conditions. It was I think. played in around 1983, yeah, by the looks yeah. of the footage. I won't believe it. I think Sligo and Derry was played in worse conditions. I've never seen wind like it at a game. Um, although, maybe the aforementioned uh, Eddie Hickey would disagree. He won't score a goal from a kick-out in particularly windy conditions in Thailand. I don't know if you remember um, that, Stephen. Dundalk nil, Bohemians won. It'll be wrong not to mention that to you. Izzy Akinade, uh, what I loved about that goal was it was hard to see it coming. He just, it was a shot out of nothing and all of a sudden Gary Rogers was like, um, both look good on the highlights. Yeah, I think um, we're disappointed to lose. Like, I think, you know, like like any, or, all right, there's nothing, nothing on the game. The league title had been decided, but that's no excuse. We still wanted to win. I think, obviously, we had our team selection suggested that we were looking after people because we had a, well, we have quite a few injuries at the moment so we're not it's not a deliberate act to look after people we, we actually it was a necessity really you know we've, we've quite a few injuries in wide areas at the moment so um, so we, we played without any natural wingers but to be fair to Bohemians they were missing a few they were missing Fudsula and missing Keith Ward and players like that, uh, and they so and so, they, you know they they did very well in the night. They defended uh, well against us and caught us on the break a couple of times and and uh, created a few chances. And as you say, Izzy Akinida scored a great goal. Yeah, I, what a season Bowes have had. To be fair, um, well, I, I, we were just talking about a bit off air. I mean, Bowes have lost fourteen games. They've lost more games than aside from Finn Harps and Drada. They've lost more games than every other side. I mean, I mean, Shamrock Rovers are one behind in thirteen. The Bows have won thirteen matches. They just have this knack of producing big results, which mm. is that, and that's the reason they're well clear. They haven't sort of been drawn matches along the way, like uh, 
like your like your lot probably unfortunately have. I mean, it's you think just the notable big wins that they just land, they've landed at key times. They winning in Tala, yeah. winning in Cork, um, I think winning in the well I mean, They've won. Team. They've won away to each of the top three. You know, yeah. so like that's that's a that's a significant feat. I, I think I think they're very well. I think they have two very good managers working together, and I think they've um, they had a goal threat from Go United for one team didn't earlier in the season. Um, Pat's four, Cork two. This was intriguing stuff, really, because I was down in Limerick, and obviously the game was delayed. And before it started, Cork were two 0 up, and everyone was getting really, you know, I suppose jiggy, and it didn't last very long um, because Cork's. Cork's defending. I, I don't know how you could describe it. It was it was it was really pathetic. And and you know the players they had out defensively. There's no reason, despite the fact that obviously the the league won. Um, I, I find it hard to believe they actually looked like they were still celebrating. Um, after the two goals they got, it was disappointing from a goalie perspective. But um, it was similar to the results that they got against Dundalk last year after Dundalk won the league Pats um, but a few things I suppose we should mention um, Sadlier's goal Dan unbelievable and I was watching the Soccer Republic just before that he had a very similar shot that just went over and interestingly Coffey alluded to next season you'll see the best out of him he, he looked like you know it was very hard for him Birmingham to do it's, well, it's funny a couple of the court games I've been at I mean Sadlier has been he's been in and out with the side and one of the games I'm trying to think which game it was it might have been the Cup semi against Limerick where himself and Caulfield were having a bit of a a few heated discussion, shall yeah. we say? Like, and I think I think you get the sense that Caulfield is trying to still get him to fully maybe tune in to maybe their style or whatever he wants from him. So uh, we've seen that in terms of he's taking a minute out of the side, and I suspect you probably will see a, a maybe a bigger, better year from him next year. We shall see. Um, Did you try to bring him to Oriel? Yeah, um, no, I think. Yeah, I think the first time we we tr- we tried with uh, at the start of last year, really. Start of last year, or started to sit before the season started with uh, the previous manager there. Uh, we made an inquiry, um, but he, he wasn't for sale at that stage. Cork subsequently broke the record, nearly with forty thousand for him in modern times. Which is still peanuts. Yeah, it's still you know well, um, it's still an amount of money, and certainly uh, there's no doubt he's a good player. No doubt he's a good player. Yeah, he looks like his story is yet to be told in the League of Ireland in some respects. And uh, just a bit of a worry for Pat's own Garvin, who we've had on the show, had a had an excellent game, uh, albeit under very little pressure from the Cork midfield. I think you have to say Pat's were... like Pats were good, fairness, and they were at it. We've yeah. spoken a bit about you know bottle and character and stuff for Pat's this year. They went two down after 18 minutes and could easily have thrown in the towel you know or, or imploded and they made a change as well they brought Curtis Byrne on as a as a sub and uh, like you know in the 20th minute of a match which is unusual and took mm. O'Connor off and gave Curtis probably to give Fagan a bit more support mm. and I mean they they did produce it you know they produced the Absolutely. performance you know and, and as Cork well as were, were, were scatty you know and um, you know they had a, some inexperienced players out and it probably it probably showed but Pat still had to Go and do it. They were given a helping hand, but they still had to go and do it. You know, yeah. Rory Higgins was at the game. Yeah, as part of our coaching staff, and um, he 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 maintained that St. Pat's were very good on the night. You know, he he felt he felt um, watching their display that um, you know it was some of their goals. He he compared a couple of the goals, air, air goal in the semi final in Oriel Park. That goal we scored with mm. Stephen O'Donnell um, set up. Um, Robbie Benson in the end said one or two of their goals weren't too dissimilar. You know, he, f- he felt that their their uh, 
you know, that they played really well on the nights and Pats and some of the players that hadn't played so well this season really excelled on the night. And uh, in fairness to Bucko, like the players he brought in, Balik, Garvin and Brennan, huge influence on the game. But even someone like Dennehy, I think, yeah, had a very... In and out season, kind yeah. of. Yeah, you know... Um, I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go back on what I said. Like it, it was it was the sort of defending you'd see on a, in a bad TV show what Cork were doing. But at the same time, Pat's had showed a lot of bottle. I expect them to get over the line. But um, you know it'll be interesting to see what Derry City do against because Derry have have um, you know they still have one game left and they they're obviously capable of beating Pat's. But it'll be interesting to see how they finish the season. They've announced a new deal with Adidas as well, which is a bit of news today. Limerick versus Go United. Well, I don't know where we can we don't have time to get into this, but Anthony Buttermer stole the show um just on that lads the the whole jersey thing like i i didn't criticize butmer because i don't really know the rules on this uh steven just start with you i think it was to do with the sleeves issue not sleeves elliot who we had in the show but sleeves in that we we have white sleeves i think and limerick have white sleeves and i think that was the clash but it it necessitated a long delay and um in true greatest league in the world fashion our go united fans were delayed outside the ground because limerick underestimated how many of us will be there so they literally ran out of tickets so we were Actually, actually, kind of happy the game was delayed because we couldn't get in anyway. But the sleeves issue first. I don't. Was there a question there, Johnny? Sorry, the sleeves issue. I really don't know. You know, I've no yeah. idea what happened. But to be delayed twenty-five minutes because of uh, an issue over the kit uh, when the similar kit was worn earlier in the season—that's so erratic and so inconsistent, and it shouldn't have been allowed because <clears throat> the other results. The play, you know, impacted it with two mm. games to go. You know how that result is going, so you can make decisions based on that. You know, so clearly, if that match was delayed twenty five minutes, every game should have been delayed twenty five minutes. That's my viewpoint. You know, yeah. I mean? you know, yeah, yeah. if they're going to make those decisions, like you know, so I think because uh, that impacts your decisions. Sometimes you're hearing results. If your game's delayed, you're hearing results, and as a manager, it can impact what you want to do. So I think um, it's. Uh, you know, I I just don't understand it. So I, I you know I wasn't party to I don't I don't know what the issue is in relation to exactly the colours of the jerseys, but um, it seems um, extreme and doesn't happen really in other leagues. You don't hear of it. No, no. Leagues, Limerick ended up playing their away jersey. I don't think they had access to that initially, so that was the delay. Um, it becomes the story. Yeah, it did become story. As you know, apart from, it's very unsettling for the players. Yeah, so you're, 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 for, as as a player, they're very focused on preparing for the game your warm-up is meticulous the time you eat you know you've already had your pre-match in order for you to peak at the particular time um your your, your mental preparation for the game how you're focused the warm-up is timed and you're hanging around in the dressing room for an extra 25 minutes very very uncertain for a colossal game like for it's a huge game in their careers these players pressure a huge game for the impact of, for the for the for the future of the club at stake and then it's it's over it and then you know, I was looking at the game last night and Bray and Shamrock Rovers both had green and white. And I was saying, you know, playing, you know, that kind of way. So they yeah. were both playing in green and white and yet the other game was delayed 25 minutes. So, um, so you know... It's the interpretation of the rule as opposed yeah, to... No. In, in fairness, uh, I'm not going to knock him because I don't know the rule, but I, I would question his, his, you know, he's, he's definitely not my favourite referee, I'll put it mildly, but uh, he gave a couple of dodgy penalties, one of them to Galway. Ronan Murray was decapitated, but uh, the keeper stayed on the pitch. And then I think Galway were denied a really, really strong penalty claim at the end. It was a tough game to referee. Limerick have stayed up, Neil McDonald went around and shook hands to all these players afterwards and thanked them for the job they've done and I, I think he needs to be hailed on getting them you know over the line after a fairly ropey um, sort of start to his tenure and my final word of thanks goes to uh, former guest on the show and Limerick goalkeeper Brendan Clark who gave me a lift home
um, to Dublin. Sligo Rovers 3, Derry City nil. Uh, played in horrendous conditions. Um, Sligo look like they're probably safe. They just need a point in Drogheda. Then again, it's been such a strange season. One wouldn't be sure what will happen there. And uh, the aforementioned Drogheda beat Finn Harps uh, last night, which was Monday night. So it all looks like, just to, we'll go into this at the end of the show, but Galway United need to beat Dundalk. Galway United need to beat Dundalk <laughs> on Friday, live on TV. First game we've been shown on this season. And we have to hope, as a Galway United fan, that is. That we Pat's, have to hope, as a Galway, as a Galway United fan, that, Gal, that Pat's... It's a Galway United be, weekly again. Is Gal, Gal, Gal United, United weekly. Galway United have to hope that... Uh, Thanks bear to mind, I'm, I'm not a soccer, I'm not a soccer journalist every day of the week. L- listeners from Sligo um, and St. Patrick's Athletic can just... Please, any, anyway, this is not the policy or stated view of Galway Weekly. So, Galway United fans have to hope that Pat's... Don't win, do, do, get nothing actually in Derry or that Sligo get nothing in Drogheda. So we'll get to that later. Anyway. Stephen, you didn't expect to be at this point of the season, I think, that the league will be gone on you. Um, how would you assess it? You, you, you know, you've missed out on winning it again, uh, but you know, you've 66 points from 32 games. It's not too bad. Um, yeah, no, I think, I think <laughs> that's one assessment, all right. Um, I think we... Um, Lost eight games? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, obviously we managed to win three league twenty one games, yeah, three league titles in a row. Um, and last season, obviously, we, we qualified for the champ for the group stage of the Europa League. So last season was an eleven over an eleven month season. We finished in on the sixteenth of December in Israel, and um, you know <laughs> we were back in early January. Um, so it was an epic, epic season. I think anyone. It's a, it probably sounds like I'm making excuses now, but I think if you if you were involved in last season and realised the sheer demands of it, it was unprecedented. We're playing every two and three days for four and five months, twelve European games in a short period, travelling all over the place and coming, getting back off planes. We got we got back off the plane from Warsaw, had to go straight to Arklow, stay a night and play Wexford on a on a Friday, and we had to come back from Russia on a Friday and go straight to the Aviv to play the cup final for Sunday afternoon. So it was it was all of that stuff and um it was a it was a, it was it was hugely enjoyable as well. I'm not it was a huge it was a magnificent experience. But it did take its toll and we lost some good players and I think uh we um you know we had a lot of players who just couldn't train in pre season and uh cumulative effects and they put their bodies on the line last year and we had a, a reaction from that and I think it culminated with Cork having a brilliant, brilliant start to the season. Like they were, they, you know, we congratulate Cork on winning the league title. They, they, they deserved it overall. I think there can't be any dispute about that. And I think um, they, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, the players have done well this season. For for us to win the the, the league cup final in, in Tala was a great achievement to win three nothing in a cup final. Yeah, uh, very unusual. And now we've got a chance to win the the, the cup double. In, in the Aviva Stadium. Had a real tough cup draw this year. Had to play Derry when they were flying at that time. They were really getting a lot of good results. They were playing free-flowing stuff at that in that period. And people were saying going into that game against Derry. Because we're unlucky. Both teams, are Derry and ourselves, are lucky to get each other in the first round. And people were saying, you know, if we lose that, our season could be over. And um, so to win 4 nothing was a dramatic win. And it, it showed that when the capacity... When, <coughs> when the big games come around... Um, over the last few years, by and large, the players have been able to perform, and I think, um, you know, obviously the cup semi final against Shamrock Rovers as well, having to go to Tallaght 
in the in the replay, concede an early goal and concede a late equaliser to come out four two on top to score seven goals in talent in the two matches in the League Cup final and the, the semi final of the FAI Cup was a tremendous achievement by the players and you know it sets us up for what's a, an epic final against Cork. I suppose just the thing that has been a bit of a narrative this season is that if your head-to-head results against Cork were better, uh, you'd be banged there. And, uh, you know, during John Caulfield's tenure initially, they really struggled against, uh, you know, Dundalk. But I think the narrative of the cup final is you guys kind of owe them one at this stage because for the last couple of seasons, really, they have had the upper hand. And that's been, I suppose, looking at Dundalk and having a bit of a fondness for Dundalk after watching them so much last year. That's the one thing I'd criticise you on. You've been well, well held in the head-to-heads, even even when Cork weren't playing that well at Turner's Cross a few weeks ago. Yeah, well, no, to be fair, they played well in that game. But I, I think, um, the uh, yeah, I think we, we had the advantage for, for a couple of years. You know, obviously, the big game last year to win the league in Oriel Park, we won it when you know it was in the balance that at that stage i think um this year cork have taken seven from nine you know so i think um you know and and that's the the, the seven points in it at the minute so that's been um that's been the difference obviously and i think um you know um you know so that's that's something we we, we you know we have to address in the cup final obviously i think um no you know that that is the case. I think uh, Corkov two won the first game. Obviously, Sean McGuire's been played very well against us in both games. You know, I think the last game in in Tornish Cross, um, we probably didn't deserve to win a, a draw. We played, you know, one all draw, but a win probably would have flattered us um, in that game. So I think um, it's something that we we need to improve on in the cup final. And if if we do just go back um, go back to the start, because I, 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 when I got into the League of Ireland, Longford were laughing stock, and I think you were 26 when you got the job, were you? Um, and in, in some respects, it wasn't the worst job to get, because there was no expectation there. They'd load of journeymen playing for them, albeit in a kip and strokes from road. Um, so you could kind of bring in, you could probably experiment a bit and bring in hungry young players, which is exactly what you did in Dundalk in some respects, but what do you remember about that? And I mean, we're going back a while now. What, right, I didn't know. Are we doing an autobiographical piece, are we? I, 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 don't, think, I don't think we have time, but I, <laughs> it, 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 it's quite a long, <laughs> long story. Briefly, your Longford experience, I uh, mean, uh, particularly at the start when you, 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 they were whipping boys and you turned them into, you know, team that could win cups and get qualified to Europe and so on. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> I think it was you know we went down to Longford initially. They'd been in the bottom the last for a few years, and, and not only at the bottom, there was a lack of credibility, no support, sixty, fifty, and sixty at the matches, and just when I went in and took over Longford and went around the place, introduced myself as the manager. Um, I was I wasn't I wasn't met with open arms in the town because you know the club owed money to certain people and around the credit around the time and around the various establishments and so forth and there was just no grow really for the club at that stage you know locally or very little but there had been a tradition before i had been there in the previous in the distant past in terms of outside the league of ireland and there'd been in junior cups and that and you know great tradition in football along for but it was essentially yeah, a strong gaa um and still is, you know, in the, in the towns and villages around Longford. But it was great. Listen, it was a great, uh, great period for me. Took over young, hungry players. We brought them in. A lot of them hadn't played in the league before, and uh, we ended up winning promotion and qualifying for Europe and getting to the cup final and playing in Europe. And 
7,000 or 6,000 seater stadium was built all in that period, you know. In a town of seven or 8,000 people? Yeah, it was, the, the stadium was built, we got into Europe and the stadium was built literally by <laughs> uh, local people all, all, all rallied around Jim Hanley and Edwin Duncan and Michael Cox and people like that behind the scenes, uh, raised all the funds and um, they... Uh, you know the you know everyone contributed really to to having that stadium that's still there now. And uh, how fond do you look back on Derry then? That whole story and how uh, you know you've such an attachment now, I suppose, to that region, living up there, and um, they'll have great fond memories of you and experiences of Europe as well. And uh, I suppose just it's a unique club, really. Yeah, it is a unique club. Um, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I had two spells of managing there, one for two years and one for four years, and under three different boards, I think, in that period. Because, um, and um, in the first period, the whole the whole experience of, you know, we, lo- we lost the treble on goal difference that year, 2006. I think um, we won the FEI Cup, won the League Cup, and but with six games in Europe. Um, the the experience of beating Gothenburg home and away and Gretna five one away and then playing PSG and the Brandywell and drawn nil all in the first leg and then taking it to the Park de France that captured the imagination in a city that that you know it, it was very interest, interesting to observe and be a part of it and um, for very very because um, it's a different place sorry yeah well it it resonated because. You know, all of a sudden you had, you had BBC from Belfast on ITV covering Derry City, coming down in the droves and, and a huge interest. And we were coming in at airports and big crowds at airports, all that sort of stuff, and uh, which you wouldn't see in the League of Ireland. Like, massive crowds at airports, uh, greeting the team, coming back off European games and things like that. And uh, there was, a, you know, a hugely, hugely influential uh, the club was at that time, I felt, uh, in the city. I think that was bigger than the league. To- like, I didn't win the league there in those two years. We finished second twice and won the Cups um, on, go- on goal difference and by a point. But I think um, I think the European run was bigger than the league title, de- definitely at that stage, much bigger. You couldn't quantify the impact that the European run had at that, that time on the city. You know, it was huge. Stephen, how much has the league changed in your time in it? You know, and has it got to the place where you would like it to be I suspect possibly no given we spoke about sort of stadiums and stuff earlier on but how has the league evolved during your time in it when you came into it as that young manager yeah I think it's um, it's changed you know I think obviously it's, it's changed dramatically to change from winter football to summer football has been people hark on about wanting to go back to winter football I know you've mentioned that earlier Johnny but like you do you do see the the pitches and that that is the big concern i think that the amount of skillful players have really emerged in the league over the last decade and the, the change in playing styles and the importance of technical players really coming to the forefront uh, is very much more evident now than than in the winter in the you know i think people mightn't agree with that i understand that people might agree because they look back in through rose tinted glasses but uh, the wesley hulhans and the Paddy McCourts and all of those great players are really able to excel on good pitches, you know. And I think the quality of the pitches throughout the summer and the lack of 
particularly in big empty stadiums, the wind factor in matches is huge in the winter. That's the biggest factor, even as much as pitches, the wind. And um, it's not like England where the closed stadiums, the wind isn't a factor so much. But in, 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 and I think, um, so uh, I think you want to see good players really express themselves at the Daryl Horgan's uh, of this world who've come in in the last few years and really lit up the league. Uh, you know, and I think those, those skillful uh, creative players need to need to have the uh, the possibility to flourish, and it's a greater greater chance in in within summer football. I think the European experiences have been amazing for for teams in in those, and and having the advantage of being in mid season has really helped. I think the, those are the advantages. Um, obviously, there was a sea change in two thousand seven, two thousand six, two thousand seven, two thousand nine. Eight or nine of the teams were probably full time. You know, and I think that was, and some of the squads were were really big at that time, twenty six, twenty eight, and oh, they were very big squads. Unsustainable, really. You know, I think, I think, yeah. So there has been a real, you know, I think obviously it's got to the point where it went back a few years where players then were being paid virtually very, very small wages, where that was unsustainable for the players to commit. For for virtually nothing, you know, that kind of. I think that was that was unsustainable from the players' point. I, of view. I think I think that was that was a tough time for the league, and it, yeah. it, even I say Dan as a journalist, that was tough. If you're covering it in week in week out, where you feel that this the recession's really going to hit here, and like, is the league going to take a massive backward step? And it kind of felt like that as well. Yeah, I mean, it was it was. I would always say, and it's, it's, I always feel like I'm picking on a particular team, but I would think say 2012, Sligo won the league, draw to finish second that season with a very part time squad mm. you know a real part-time squad but in a strange way there was a changing of the guard around that time and it actually paved the way then for you came to Dundalk with a new team and a challenge straight away and then Cork came along a year later and we have this new era now almost and I'm kind of wondering from your perspective how you assess things now say relative to say that 06 07 because we see see Cork have now announced they're going to go to 52-week deals. We've, we know Shamrock Rovers have been doing it. I know maybe you've signed a couple of players on that basis. I mean, is that are we now coming to a, a new phase of professionalism now, possibly with, a, I don't know, a, a different approach with the knowledge of what happened maybe 10 years ago in our mind? Or how, What's your take on, on what happens next, Stephen? Yeah, I think, I think obviously, uh, um, we're looking for clubs to grow um, and improve all aspects of, of of the clubs. You're looking for attendance to, to improve. You're looking for the, the revenues. A club cannot rely on one stream of revenue. It has to have at least five or six streams of revenue. And I think, um, you know, clubs have to improve from a business perspective. I think from a football perspective, yeah, I think ideally the concept of a player committing his life, sacrificing his career, sacrificing a college career for a 40-week contract that that's one year, one year forty week contract is not sustainable either. That's not it's not proper industry. That's you know that that is what it deserves to be. You know it's you know I think it'll end up players training a couple of nights a week and um you know I think I think and achieving going out in the fourth round every year in Europe and just having no ambition. You know I think that's you know so I do think that uh, um. Cork have announced that they're going to 52 weeks Rovers have already been 52 weeks for the last while so you know <clears throat> ideally that would be the this scenario for clubs uh, can everyone sustain that that's the challenge you know what is their business model can can they can they sustain it it would, it would be fantastic if, if we could I think um, uh, 
then what happens is if a club doesn't get to Europe one year or, or they, they lose the first round in Europe, um, you know, these are big, big mm. you can't you can't build a club in that regard either. You can't say, right, if you lose that first European game, you can't gamble. We, we've got a lot, half your squad go, you know. I think uh, how much um, does the European money change things though? I mean, I, I I think that Derry run, I can't remember what the rewards were, but I don't remember it being a huge talking point that it was like an amazing amount of money coming into the club. Whereas mm. now, what well, you're heading your like fifth season in Europe in a row, and, and the, the away from money is just has gone to an incredible level, but that must give the club a bit more security about the yeah, decisions I think, you made. Yeah, no, for. I think I think definitely, you know, I think um, that's why if if a club had a, with an already purpose built ground would really be in a in a position to go and do well, you know, I think I think um, uh, there's no doubt about that, and I think you know as someone. As a manager, um, I, I managed Bohemians to the league title and we played in the Champions League in Spate Borisov years ago and we beat them 3-0, okay, to, to qualify 3-1 over the two legs. And, you know, I think that was back down in 2003, 2004. And um, then for I, I remember thinking, you know, I'm looking at Spate Borisov and they're in the group stages of the Champions League. They're playing events in Real Madrid. And I'm, t- and, and I'm looking at... They're a small club now. They they're not. They're a very unique example because it doesn't happen. They were only getting crowd domestic crowds of three thousand, and uh, so uh, they did fascinate. So it was ironic then that we met them twice then with Dundalk, you know, because it was the club that fascinated me the most because I could relate to them and think, well, they can. How 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 are they doing that? So when we when we played Bate Borisov and they beat us beat us in the first two uh, one um, after we won our first league title. So for us to beat them. Uh, last year and qualify for the group stages was, was ironic because they, they a club like that can give us uh, inspiration for for a club like the Dock or other League of Ireland clubs to go and I've looked at they've been in the group stages five times so my ambition now for the Dock would be we be we must be looking to be first of all you've got to win the league and uh, to give yourself the best chance although we are seeded I believe in the first two rounds of the Europa Cup, Europa Cup next year mm. um, I think. Um, but I, you know, we must look to and have the ambition to think that we can consistently try aspire to qualify for for the group stage of the European competition. It's well, an awful lot to ask for, though. I mean, it is, yeah. People, yeah. And, and, and you know, when we had LOI weekly around the European run, Dan, I think we felt a little, a little bit deflated with this year, even though pound for pound. The Irish clubs actually did quite well. It's just expectations have gone up so far. Sort of, they all went out the clubs that you would, you know. They were they were seated up below. You know would, what I well, mean? yeah, the, 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 on infrastructure and everything else, but, they would lose that, it. But, but you, like what what Kenny's team did last year, I'm just like you, you did set a bar very high, and it was like we needed to take a step back this year because I found myself a little bit disappointed after the Rosenberg game mm. because I thought you didn't really express yourselves in the second half and. It's it's remarkable thinking that way. Then they go on, you know, they they push Celtic so hard, so beat Ajax yeah. and beat. Ajax. So it's just like the, the expectation is high, but like we're still in terms of budgets, we're miles behind clubs that now you're kind of proposing that we should be beating year on year. No, it's asking a lot. No, I'm not. I'm not proposing that we should be beating year on year. But I think um, you're right. We're absolutely miles behind uh, um, clubs in Europe in terms of what they've got in terms of resources and facilities, and. Um, there's no doubt about that, but you can achieve extraordinary things. Mm. I think if if uh, you're planning, you know, if it, if you can sign go and sign good players and get them to play in the in the you know in, in a way that uh, 
they can, as you as you mentioned, express themselves and fulfil their potential. You can achieve extraordinary things, and we mustn't limit ourselves. The problem is really the problem I've found now is the breakup of teams. You know, you're building a team, you're losing your players, and how do you move forward? And that so that's the biggest challenge for me as a manager to keep the because continuity. And you've seen it with Cork last year, where we had continuity for a couple of years. We won the double, only losing one game in 2015. We scored the most goals in the history of the game. We won the double and we lost one game that season. And we signed two players, Patrick McElhenney and Robbie Benson, okay, who are young players at other clubs who are still a bit unproven, but they've been they've been outstanding for us obviously since they've come here. But last year, overall, we signed over eight, eight to eight stroke nine players. And uh, that, you know, that where Cork, for example, had a bit of turmoil the previous two years, had a, had a change, John Coffey changed the squad, then had that element of continuity nearly where he'd hardly any changes last year. And and that, that really does help you, you know, there's no doubt about that, you know, if you can have that element of continuity. So I think um, um, the, uh, so that that's the big challenge for me, I think, to keep your best players. And that that, that is a challenge. It does strike me that this can be a, I, I don't know, is demoralising the right word, but it can be a difficult time of year because the season should be coming to a climax and there should be the excitement. Yet there's all these questions hanging in the air about players. I'm not necessarily going to go through player by player and say what's happening, mm. but because you may not even know, I guess, in some of the, some no, of the that, cases. No, yeah, yeah. How difficult is that? I mean, it's a, it should be the highlight of the season, but it's, it's actually probably a, as stressful as the time as there might be, perhaps, this, this, this juncture where all these guys are out of contract and being linked with clubs and so on. Yeah, I think it is... Um Listen, I'm not going to complain about it. Like that's you know, it's, it's other 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 managers have different problems, and that's you know, I think mm. that's uh, you know, I, I think uh, <laughs> that's uh, but that uh, that would make you that would make you want to not do the job, you know. To be honest, you know that you're trying to create something, you build something, you're looking for something, and then you you're you're um, hitting a brick wall in that regard. You know, th- those are the those are the problems. But I think sometimes you have to. Um, understand that these are these are the circumstances that we exist in and what you what you've got to do is be creative and be the best you can be and and make the team the best it can be and certainly uh, uh we've got to replace um good players with good players you know and i think that's what that's what we've got to do um and uh, you know people when we initially lost richie tell people thought because he was so absolutely brilliant for us over a couple of years you know and um, you know, with Vinnie Pert at that time, we were talking and we got Patrick McElhenney and that was the thing. And we said, was Vinnie instrumental in that? No, no, Patrick played for me with Derry, yeah. you know, so obviously I'd relate with him, but we were talking and we said, like, you, were, you know, we're replacing Keegan with that leash. That's what we were thinking, do you know what I mean? In relation to replacing Tell with McElhenney, you know, and two, two, two million players, that's what we think. That's what we need. We need to do that with all our players. Mm. You know, we need to have similar replacements. Because do you... Is it a tough one where you have a player who's out of contract and you have big games? Do you, do you want to be negotiating with them at this that, time of the year? And that, and that sounds very pretentious saying that, but I don't oh, mean but, that. But I just I just make the analogy, and obviously in a different way. But you know, I, I didn't I meant it in in the way it sounded. No, you know, but it, to, you know? to be fair, not not. But like when Towel was gone, people were like, yeah. "Well, he's a replaceable." But arguably, you got a more talented player. Um, but but can that the question is can that cycle be repeated? Is there enough talent there to? to get like for like because we have suddenly seen a drain of talent again that was a big feature of 08, 09 that period there was a 
unbelievable amount of players left the league as you managed quite a few of them at Derry and so mm. on and there wasn't maybe the people there to replace them are we in danger of a of another talent train again or yeah, yeah we are we aren't in danger of that throughout the league and you know I think that's the big fear you know and I think um it is difficult at the moment we are we are in danger of uh, because one of the things that the European um runs and and getting to like getting to the group stages of the Europa League is that people are saying hang on a minute like has to be you know and 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 as we, and Dan alludes to earlier in the tournament when they're watching good matches and watching teams play Zenit St Petersburg and Legia Warsaw in full stadiums abroad and and holding your own and scoring great goals in those matches gives players a great platform and they want to go as far as they can in their careers they are ambitious themselves and you have to respect that and certainly um um and the, you know there has been a huge influx of agents in the last two years even you know um so much so that players in their under 19s now have people approaching agents approaching them and obviously it goes right through to under 15s and 16s that and with international players but you know so i think that's that's um these are issues that we have to deal with but rather than complain about them we have to manage them the best we can and make sure that we're the best we can be you know i think that's that's it and strive to get better we have to put all put in better and better i have to make them dock a better environment for for next season i think we have to do that you know i think um um we have stood still a little bit in the last year alluding to yourself johnny what you said earlier on but that was probably because we lost the players that we did lose and you know I think we have to now push on and move forward again in, ter- in terms of the environment I think you, your team pretty much trains at the evening time at the moment is that something that could change maybe for next year maybe a, a slight change of structure yeah listen we we had a, we adapted the model to suit us really and it's not a model I would have said I would have put somewhere else and say this is what works elsewhere we had to understand geographically where we were um, you know we had to come from an environment where when we started our budget was between six and seven thousand a week or something for mm. 40 weeks it was you know it was a minute budget really at the start and we had to um so players had to earn else elsewhere and, and so forth to sustain it and um i think um obviously things progressed rapidly and our budget increased and every year and obviously with european success so um yeah geographically there, there's not a lot of players like for example at Derry for example I remember one year when we got promoted from the fourth division we had a whole team from within six mile radius and it was it was amazing but Dundalk is different we've not got that the players in Dundalk um uh, not that we know we have some good youth teams now under 15 17 19 some players that have come through that that are looking good but traditionally there wasn't that we've got Shane Grimes of course has yeah. been playing left back and but tra- traditionally the numbers of players have got to either relocate them to the area or they've got to do a commute and they, these are all challenges that you have to ha- that you have to meet and uh, that suited us we had if you if you like Munster the, in Munster in their peak period when they were winning them European Cups they had a Cork camp and a Limerick camp and they mm. done all the gym work separately and they, they travelled to to Limerick for their for their for their pitch stuff, you know, for the for the pitch training sessions. So we sort of ha- had that gyms double gym session between Dublin City University and, and the Felder gym in, 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 in Dundalk and then all our training was done then in the evenings in in, in Dundalk. So but we've had a full time um, mentality and full time environment and we probably train more than full time teams at times like in terms of yeah. the, the number of sessions but um, so we, we adapted that to suit us, but yeah, we, we we a lot of decisions still have to be made for next season. Nothing's been decided one hundred percent. 
what do you look back on more fondly? So the European memories are winning leagues when you when you will look back um, because everyone can win the league, but not everyone can do what you did in Europe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I don't want to be in the business of looking back and reflecting mm. on that because I feel that we've so much more to achieve. Like we've got a cup final next week that we want to create, you know, Capture the imagination of everyone in the dock and the surrounding counties again, you know, and really surrounding towns and villages and, and bring the trophy back to Dundalk. That that would be the ambition. I think um um winning one league title from where we come from was amazing. To win the three in a row was was something else. And but you're right, the li- a lifetime personal from personal point of view, a lifetime ambition was qualifying for the group stages of European competition because that's what I had aspired to do for for a while and um and and i'd be keen to do it again you know i think i'd be keen to try and get back in that'd be the ambition in that regard do you have aspirations to leave ireland i'm going on holidays in december um where are you going (laughs) (laughs) Um, i've yet to be told no i think um so that's that's where we are at the moment yeah, I think that answers that question. Um, just in the off season, you're you're obviously thinking of next season after the cup final. Um, do you expect much upheaval player wise? Do you expect players to go? Macmillan's been linked away. McLenny obviously will be linked away. Um, you go through them, Johnny. Just yeah, <laughs> you've been linked to Shane Supple, who's just signed a new deal um, with Bowes. Do, do you expect much upheaval? I would. Ex- I suspect not as much as last year, anyway. Yeah, just to, you mentioned that, but we didn't try and sign Shane Supple. Yeah, you obviously were linked with, yeah, you didn't Mm. try and sign him yet. No, 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 because, you know, Gary Rogers has a contract for another season at the club, and, you know, it's certainly, um, he's a very, very good goalkeeper, it must be said. Shane. Yeah, Shane, yeah, yeah, very good, but it's not something that we pursued, but, uh, you know, he's a very, very good goalkeeper, but certainly the, um, um, what, what was the question? Just in, in terms, terms of what, in terms of player, player upheaval, uh, mm. in the, you know, do you expect much in the off season, or will it be a more stable on Dundalk? Uh, I think, um, you know, I'm two players actually going to sign today. Um, extended contracts later on. I expect um, today Chris Shields and Brian Gartland are extending their deals um, late, later on today, um, which. You know, I'm delighted about because we've been known for being a free-flowing team, passing team, um, a team with a lot of individual flair. But really, you can achieve nothing without having people like Chris Hills and Brian Gardland who've been really um, real men, real, real, real characters, real that you know to show great mentality, put the team before themselves, and and. Um, you know it's amazing really in, in modern League of Ireland terms Chris is only 26 now but his two year contract now would put him would mean he'd be eight years at Dundalk you know it's really unusual in the modern yeah but he's not from especially he's not from the area you him know, and Mountney were there before you arrived yeah, there, yeah. yeah. great signings by Sean McCaffrey it must be said mm. and um, must be said and uh, certainly yeah um, so Eight years, yeah, and Brian that would put Brian in at seven years at the club, so that would be quite unusual. And you know, in nowadays, you know, two Dubliners really as well. They've they've married sort of into the area as well. That's sort of the key. If you can just fix all the rest of the lads up with locals, maybe you can sort it out. You know, it was Johnny Coffin's ambition for John Dunleavy. I think it was actually, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but those things matter, though, you know. But um, 
Um, I yeah. guess we have to get to the now, Dan. We 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 asked Jessica. We got some questions. It nearly brought Twitter we, we, down. We, we got, got many, a load of questions. So well, I was actually not going to get through. But I was actually just going to ask before we moved on to the questions, though, about the European thing and just how important it was to you to have the team playing in the way that you wanted it to play in terms of your football philosophy and how important do you think actually attractive football is to the future of the league because we're always selling the league we're always talking about how can we attract people to the game do you like style of play do you feel that's something that's hugely important in terms of getting people in because sometimes people just want success they want to see a team lifting a trophy but do you think the way the teams play is as important as that well for me it's been more important you know i think um that's a personal view you know um i think um and one of the things about the European run last year when we played teams like Bate Borisov and, and Legia Warsaw and, and Zenit St. Petersburg, Maccabi Tel Aviv, playing AZ Alkamar to go and take them on away from home and, and have the determination to dominate the game, dominate possession, um, is something that uh, the players should be proud of like because they, they you know, the whole concept that we we are inferior, so therefore we must possession isn't important, so we must surrender possession and hope we can keep a clean sheet and score with set play. I think we've got to get away from that, you know. I think and and that technically our players aren't good enough and all of that stuff. And I think we sort of um, that myth was debunked, and you know I think we we sort of um, uh, we illust- the players illustrated themselves that they were they had the quality. To play on 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 that stage, and they showed a, a tremendous amount of uh, skill, and and the you know the brilliant brilliant performances over that period to to do so well and compete so well in at that level against clubs, huge clubs really overall, you know, and I think that's uh, you know that gives us no excuses in the future, you know, not to not to want to play that way, and I think. Um, um, you know, we must have a determination to go and do that. Uh, and, uh, we've, Rosenborg, you said you're disappointed, but we absolutely uh, dominated Rosenborg in Oriel Park for the first, for in the first it, half. It could have been three up. You what, know? What, what, what was most about that was the respect they paid you because they they didn't play on the front foot. They basically sat back and they said, "We're going to soak it up here against Dundalk." But I think we scored, and then we we two or three other chances where we nearly scored again. So they weren't sitting back because they were saying, "Well, we'll take a one 0 You know, they, they, I think they, they were they, having to take a draw. They didn't have much choice. Yeah, at one all they did, mm. but they didn't have much choice. We, were, you know, uh, you know. I think to be fair, um, it's not it's not it's not like years ago where teams used to come and sit off and take it take a nil all like, and, and batty at home. The, the, the away goals are hugely important. Sometimes the the home the home game is more is more difficult, but. Over in Norway, in the extra time and so forth, uh, Rosenborg were better overall. You know, I think uh, there wasn't. You know, we had a chance to hit the bar to go through right at the death, and we, we could have been two up. But um, but um, they are, they've been the Norwegian champions for a few years now, and you know they've obviously got a few of the players playing the Danish team in a couple of weeks and so forth. So um, they um, are a good side, but but certainly. Uh, and we weren't at our peak where we probably were last season at that stage, but certainly, um, so we've got to get better overall. I feel, you know. But, but ju- ju- just on to just to extrapolate Dan's point there, if if Martin O'Neill were in the room right now, 
uh, he might argue, well, we got the job done playing the way we did for Ireland in Cardiff. And also, we wouldn't have given the ball away at the back like like some of your players did last year because of the philosophy that you have. So that might be his counter-argument to, I was proud of the way we played, but we gave away sloppy goals through passing the ball out of defence. I would argue that, that the greater good is that you played football, but he would say, well, you gave away goals. Uh, yeah, well, certainly... Uh and that's a valid point, you know. I can't uh, can't disagree with that. And I think, um, uh, well, I can't disagree with it, but I, I, I can. I, it is a valid point. Um, I think uh, I'm certainly not going to come in here and criticise Martin O'Neill. You know, I think you know he, he's been a very very successful manager, and um, I'm not I'm not in here to do that. Um, and so that's that's not what I'm here to do. And certainly, uh, you know, but. But my, you know, I think I can only be true to myself, and I can only whether people can disagree or, or not. Um, I think that um, it wasn't just last year. Like we're building into that over the last couple of years, we had convincing wins against obviously Janiszewski, and then we had you split away in in, a ga- in games and played Bate Borisov. So it was leading into that. So the players are capable of stepping up a level the players that we've had over the last couple of seasons and technically competing um you know against some of the top sides so we must continue to aspire to do that you know who was your biggest influence as a as a, as a young coach in terms of that getting that philosophy um I don't know, you know, I find it hard to pinpoint one person to say that, you know, I think, yeah. I think um, but I've been influenced by quite a lot of people. You but, spoke um, before, but I think watching football in the 80s, even as a kid, was it Mexico and stuff, was it in 86, or who was it, or was it the Madrid sides of that time, I was trying to think. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, uh, you know, I think, um, and, um, t- you know, I think uh, I wouldn't pinpoint one, one individual person. Um, we will get to a few questions now. Um Who's the best player he nearly signed for any team? That's from uh, Brian Kevin. I'm not sure if he's Kevin Brian or Brian Kevin. Anyway, it's BK, not Brian Kerr. So who's the best player he nearly signed for any team? Might need best to think about that. Nearly one. signed. Mm. Um, not sure actually, but just one of the lads. Um, I don't know. He was the best player, and 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 he was on. But an interesting one, nonetheless, is that um, Mark Pugh, that Bournemouth nearly came to Derry to me uh, that at one stage. Um, um, his agent, I knew his agent. He, I, he had represented um, Adam Hamill, who I had at at Dunfermline. Oh yeah, yeah. And it was the same agent. I remember I'd been on on the phone at the time at Derry, and uh, he had this lad Mark Pugh that was that was going to come over and uh, and and play. You know. Um, and um so he you know even uh so that was but he i don't know what the best play, the best player i never signed i had i signed, I had, I had some good players who went on and done at dunfermline we had a young young french player who was at the time he was parisian um who was um he's had some career he was in the reserves at dunfermline and we when i went in there as manager then he was a young player and we put him in solomon bamba and um all of a sudden, Paul, we played a few games, and he did really well. And Paul Gwen contacted us then, at the time, the Ivory Coast manager, because he had he had parentage, Ivory Coast parentage, and he played for Dunfermline, did really well. 
I played in the cup final against Celtic and uh, had a good, great cup final. I went and played in the World Cup for the Ivory Coast and the African Nations Cup and played alongside uh, Kola Toure and Yaya Toure. I played centre back with Kola Toure in the in the in the. And now, of course, he's he's, he's at Car he's at Leeds in Cardiff now, you know. But uh, he he's um, you know, it was amazing to see a player go through like that, you know. Does you know De Bruyne moving on under Mourinho's watch to become the player he has? You must be a little bit pissed off that Maguire has done what he's done. He didn't do it for you, like. <laughs> yeah, no. To be fair, you want what to start. Went wrong? You want to start in yeah, Sean. Uh, no, no problem with that one. And good, you know. I think, yeah, uh, you know. I think <laughs> be a lot of a lot of questions about it. So. I think, yeah. Uh, <laughs> who sent that question? In? Eighty-seven people. <laughs> yeah. Listen, them. Some of them, some of them, Cork fans. John from Cork, Bill listen, from Cork. <laughs> listen, I, 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 I seen Sean playing for Waterford against in that period. Uh, did very well. Uh, he'd gone to Sligo, hadn't gone great, um, and I was trying to bring him in. And we couldn't get him free at the time. Couldn't get him. Couldn't get him free. And we signed at the time. Signed Kieran Kilduff, um, for from St Pat's. And um, we were flying that season. We we it was the season we scored the most goals ever scored. We'd only lost one game. And uh, we brought Sean in. We only had him for three months. We brought him in and in the window. We it just shows the way it works at clubs. We'd nowhere for him to live, you know. So at the time we brought him in. We'd nowhere to, for nowhere for him to live. No, so to be fair, Andy Connolly, the owner, put him in, a, in with his family. Put him in, put him in with his family at the time. So um, he was great. And Sean, Sean came and stayed uh, for a few months. And um, uh, at the time, he was short of match fitness, short of confidence coming back from England. Um, and was struggling a little bit uh, com coming in. He obviously. We, we knew we'd no doubt that he had talent um i think um he went away on international duty a couple of times with the 21s so he missed a few league games when he was away on international duty uh, towards the end of that season and we won the league up in rovers that year we drew at rovers to win one or to, to to win the league and he was away on international duty and it was a couple of weeks before the cup final Curtis Bourne, john mountney and Kieran Kilduff had come off the bench and influenced that game and influenced and Sean hadn't hadn't really played much. He came on and scored a goal against Sligo in the cup actually, and then we played him in in the in the in the last league game of the season. But he never really got a chance with us to be fair to him because every week we were beating teams four and five and the players were doing really well. Now I think at that stage he kind of came to the end of the season and he said, "Arkrington want me back. I want to go back to England." And um, so I said, "Okay." And uh, he went to Accrington, back to John Coleman, who'd had him at Sligo, and he went back over training there, and I stayed in contact with him when he was over training there. At the time, we were trying to... To be fair, I didn't see him... He didn't see himself as a striker. He seen himself as a number 10. And I thought he was a second striker. Uh, that You know, I thought he was if someone who played off someone, and, you know, thought at that stage, and he was very good. We weren't playing with two up. But one of the things he's really... The, the not the surprising aspect but he obviously was really talented but the fact that he, he's emerged as an out and out leader of the line has been amazing he's been been terrific over the last two years and he's a really good fella Sean and great great um, great player I think when I rang him at Accrington then Accrington had an embargo or something on signing players and he couldn't sign for Accrington then 
And then we were trying to sign Patrick McElhenney, who had been going to Peterborough at that stage. Peterborough were trying to sign him. And so we were saying, we were only adding two players at that time. Gilduff and Macmillan were under contract for another uh, couple of years. Um, and at that time, I signed Patrick McElhenney then, when, when Sean was at Accrington. Then, you know, at that stage, Alan Reynolds, who <laughs> was my assistant at Derry actually, uh, for a year, Alan had gone as first team coach to Cork, and he <clears throat> was friendly with Sean because he'd had him at Waterford, and he t- he took him down to um to to, to Cork at that stage, and uh, the rest is history. He's, Sorry, he's can you just him. explain that? Again? <laughs> I think that was very thorough. Yeah, there we go. That, that you know, and, and, and it's uh, mad how it works out. And he he went to Cork, and and um, but he's still seen himself as a ten going there. I think, and but he's become this. Uh, terrific number nine and yeah you know i hope he, i hope he goes on and does brilliant for ireland and i think yeah you know he's, he's had a had a had really a terrific year absolutely yeah we always shone the best um i think we're we're coming to the end of, of that and uh, raft of other questions yeah, yeah. i mean it, it, does it frustrate you that players have to wait until they move to england or scotland uh, to Thomas Sargent to receive a genuine Ireland call up. Now I know you had Horgan and Boyle obviously in the squad when you were there, but it is it is this point about the the magic plane as such as as people describe it. Yeah, I think I think that's one of the things um, we have to accept is that it depends what the manager wants to do. Sometimes you can see a player and and he could be playing in in the league or Michael O'Neill has done it picking players and. You know, from from uh, Scotland or from down the leagues in in England, you can see a player and say, "Well, I think he's a great future, and I'm going to call him into the squad and and utilize him." And regardless of his club situation, or you can you can be of the opinion that um, until he does it at a certain level, I'm not going to trust him. Do you know mm. what I mean? So, um, you know, so these are all dilemmas for an inter- international manager. I think these are all dilemmas. Um, I remember, I remember uh, Marcello Lippi winning the World Cup with Italy, picking picking players for uh, from so many unfashionable clubs, ignoring the players of uh, Milan and, yeah. and Juve, and and picking players from 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 the lower ends of. Uh, I know it's it's not comparable, but the the idea that Michael O'Neill sort of picking Conor McLaughlin from Fleetwood and and picking these players and and going you know and saying, so I think when you play in I, I do accept that you can the League of Ireland is not at the level of the Championship or the Premiership, so you you have to say well, um, until you play at that level, you can't be, you know, improve yourself at that level. You, you can't be accepted for for an international level. That is an argument. So I can see I can see also I can see all sides of it. Rory Gilson, what has who has been the most important signing since you took over at Oriel Park? It's a tough one now. One signing or one player. You, you think, yeah, that was a that was a key one. He adds a suggestion, Stephen O'Donnell. But I mean, he's, he's, I'm not trying to give you a, a sort of a leading question there. Um, I think uh, Stevie's a regular listener to the show yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it'd be, it'd be impossible to say really because you know so many have contributed. You know, I think it would be it would be unfair to say one player really. Um, I think, uh, I think. You know, and it's been such a period. But um, 
you know, I think I think so many have made contributions. You know, I think uh, I, I don't think I could single out. But, I, but even just to go back to your point then about Shields and Gartland staying on, and like, I know O'Donnell is contracted for next year, and I think Massey is as well. That how sort of good is it to still have a sort of a core of some kind that's there from year one who's seen the club from where it was before to where it is now? I mean, is that something that's important to have that continuity? Yeah, I think the values of those players they they're terrific professionals, great humility. They understand um, the, the way the the way the team plays. Technically, they understand the, how hard we have to work to achieve success. They understand uh, the importance of uh, you know a high level of professionalism around the place and a real determination to do well. Uh, they they want to encourage the newer players coming in to do well. And I think yeah, they're all good people first and foremost. And uh, and and still very very hungry. I think that's that that, that that's important. I think uh, to understand the values of the team, the way we play, what we stand for, the importance of discipline within it. You know, we've won the Fair Play Award every year. That's fundamentally who we are. It's very important. We speak about it. You know that. You know how dare any player ever let anyone down by getting sent off. You know we know we don't get players sent off, and how dare any of our players let. Let, not only let down themselves and their families, but every other player and every other family by getting sent off by just one high tackle or a, s- a stupid um, straight red or something. You know, I just think it's it's um, they understand all the values that associated with with the club, and uh, so they can they can impart that knowledge to to the to the other players coming through. Good words to finish off, I think. Uh, I've only one last question for you. How, how low were you and where was your future after the Rovers' sort of debacle? And how satisfying is it that you've come through that and you know, really grown your reputation after it? Um, you've only one question. I think you, 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 I time, about time, time is nearly up, I think. I'll have to, I'll have to you can write, write a chapter on that one. <laughs> I think that that's some time ago now. And yeah, of course, I was on a low ebb, but that goes without saying. I think, uh, you know, uh, you know, probably as low as, as I had been uh, ever. But these are, um, these are things that test you in life. And it's how you respond then from that that determines how you do. Does, a, do. does a bad experience help you in the long term? In sometimes in life that you you come through a dark period and mm. it'll it'll stand to you in the future. Yeah, I think you know you learn from you learn quickly. I think you can, um, you know, you learn from, you learn from these experiences. You know, even sometimes more than from your successes. You know, I think um, and um, it's not been too bad a period since. You know, I think uh, you know we want to continue to. To go on and be successful now over the over the next few seasons, I think you know Chris Shields and Brian Gartland, as you said, are signing new contracts. Now, in the last four years, they uh, they've won three league titles. Obviously, be second this year. They're going to the Tour de FA Cup final and they've won two league cups. They've won a couple of the minor cup competitions and they've played twenty games in Europe. So they're they're certainly pushing on to achieve more things now. That's their that's that's their ambition and they're right. And yeah, in ter- definitely in terms of Europe, we can only wish you the best next season. And uh, we've learned from our mistakes. I think sound wise this week, you're hearing <laughs> Stephen loud and clear. And listen, thanks a million for coming on the show. You've got a couple of games left this season. Um, 
best of luck in those <laughs> and uh, you know looking forward to the cup final I hope it'll be an expansive game that'll showcase Irish football very well um, Dan Anton else no, no, that's part? fine. I, I, you're very polite there about wishing you don't wish him best of luck on Friday at all Johnny. Stephen is going shortly we'll get through the predictions <laughs> for the last round of no luck has been offered at all on Friday and, and Galway United weekly um, yeah but I, I think personally I think what your team did last year in Europe did more for Irish football than you know many many people down the years and uh, you know it says a lot that I went to the games as a Galway United fan because I was proud uh, I was much prouder watching that than I was watching Ireland the way they played against Wales because you did it the right way and um, I think over time you'll be judged very much with that in mind and um, great to have you on I always love an old podcast <laughs> that was a good chat Dan um, covered a many range of uh, a range of topics there although I did actually note um, and Stephen Kenny did just mention that as he was leaving that um, yeah I did actually I, Chris Shields is not married to a local guard he's getting married to a girl who's from like the other side of the border I think in Bangor direction no, I've actually met her before so I think I was it's more the fact f- you've met her relevant uh, at all yeah, well, I think it is it's a bit insulting if you kind of thought that she was from a dog when she obviously wasn't but you've been from uh, RD as well exactly you know? I, I know how geography can be you know complex you, you get conf- can get confused in that, that neck of the woods but the general point was I think that you know they've They've they found reasons to move out of Dublin and live somewhere else, which actually is quite important if you're going to convince them to stay with the club. It's a pretty big Definitely. advantage, big advantage in contract negotiations, where well, you're going to be living in the area or just across the border, um, as opposed to and and I think a problem that they're going to face. Um, with players in Dublin, and I think training in the evening, and I think that's why possibly they might be looking to change it. If you're a player in Dublin who's been going up to Dundalk for four years, five years, you're training in the evening time, but so you're not getting back maybe till nine, eight, nine, ten at night. Maybe doing gym work at the start of the day. It's a long day. It's a, it's a, it can be draining, I think. And when you have someone like Rovers now who's offering a full time deal, is offering training in the morning, um, you know, and, and and sort of freedom to have a bit of a life outside. I think that's that's a challenge, and and that's. Certainly, I think you know the Rovers' presence on the market is probably going to have more impact, maybe on the dock than anyone else. And um, I think in terms of of equipment, but we'll have plenty is, of time to t- touch this. Out because I think it's going to be a busy winter. I think it's going to be we're talking. He talk about stability there. I, I think we've had a couple of years where the top clubs maybe haven't changed things too much, but I actually think we're heading into a a, a real winter of change. I think there's going to be a lot more movement. Um, in this particular window than, than recent ones. Yeah, and uh, there certainly will be for Galway United if, if they get relegated um, at the weekend. They're playing Dundalk. That's one of the six games. Um, we might as well start with that. that that's predictions, the, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I did well on predictions last week. Um, but uh, this week, I'm afraid I might do well as well, which will not be good um, for Galway United. But this game is obviously live now on RT, um, which is good for for Galway United. It's the first game they'll be shown all season. Um, I, I don't feel Dundalk... It's like having your funeral shown live. It's like if only they had nice, that fame in real life. It's a fair analogy, Dan, unfortunately. I, I could see Galway United playing well here. I think it may be a draw. Um, I, I don't think the win is going to be good enough, to be quite honest. And uh, um, it's, 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 it's difficult for all those clubs if you look at Sligo obviously Galway and Pats Nobitsand and Harps and Roderick gone down these are three bigger clubs and uh, the players that Galway have brought in it's, it's going to be next to impossible to hold on oh, to a lot of them be so it will difficult. be tough it's going to be very difficult I, yeah I, I think your best chance is Derry beating St Pats I, I can't see Drada beating Sligo um, I can see Sligo winning there or certainly getting the, the result that they need um, Derry have been 
you know they've been just a very inconsistent in recent weeks and you'd be really disappointed I think from from a Galway perspective that you might have assumed that Derry going to Sligo might be very competitive and they got well beaten I know the win was against them early and so on um, but even just to, you know to give away poor goals and um, they're just it's just hard I think the top clubs I mean all the top four clubs in the league all lost last weekend that's really un- that's really unusual. Well, the farm teams in the league are the teams fighting yeah, for. Yeah, it's the top four all losing. I don't know. If stats like, stats if you, people can tell you when the last time that was. If you look at Limerick, Sligo, uh, Pats, and Galway, in, in they're four of the farm clubs in the league. Strangely enough, because it really matters so much. We need a prediction for you. Prediction, okay. Galway I, and Dundalk. I, I, we didn't really push Stephen on it. He's got a lot of players with um, injury issues, um, and they do have the cup final in mind. I have to say, I, I wouldn't be shocked if your lads won. I wouldn't be shocked if Galway won this game. I just think sometimes you can't replace the intensity of just needing to win against a team that's that's trying but doesn't really need to win and they have a lot of niggly injuries. So you're not going to get a premium Dundalk service on, on Friday night at all, I don't think. And maybe Galway's desire and hopefully you know decent crowd and stuff, it might be enough to get the performance to get the win, but I'm still not sure if that keeps you... Keeps you I, I kind of think if, if a win would do for Galway, I think I'd have more confidence in them winning. I think there'd be a huge crowd. They're real, like... And I totally agree with you. And we've seen this borne out in recent weeks. The clubs with nothing to play for. I don't know. The intensity just isn't there. And we're all human. Uh, but I'll, I'll go for I'll go for a draw. I could see Galway winning. But I, I think... I think, I think Pats will... Get a draw in Derry. I, I would agree with that. I'd go for a draw. I think Owen Garvin is likely to be out. I think Derry, yeah, and I'm not sure about suspensions. There might be one or two. I'm not 100 percent on that yet. But um, Derry could want to finish a season strongly, emotional season. Last game in McGinn Park. That's from a Galway perspective. That's celebrate the, the new that, Adidas deal. <laughs> well, I mean that's maybe slightly tenuous. <laughs> um, but uh, the, would you be a fan of Adidas in the? In the football shirts, I'm not. I, I, I'm not big on football shirts. I like their runners, though. Yeah. Like the runners, partial to that runner on occasion. Anyway, some of the other games, prediction-wise, I mean, this is uh, a really strange and wonderful time of the year where these games were really mean nothing. I, I think predicting them. Is well, Bowes will beat Harps. Bowes should beat Harps at home. Um, Cork Ro- and Bray. Rovers, Limerick. I mean, Rovers are going to have a few suspensions. I mean, that's that could be most weeks, I guess. But um, they're going to miss Clark after being sent off again. That could be most weeks. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean... I think Trevor Clark, to be fair, was a little bit unlucky in Bray. No. I sort of wonder, is that going to be... Second Clark? yellow looks very going to be? Could that be his last appearance for Rovers, potentially? You know, it's mm. a sort of inglorious end. If so, maybe that game could be a draw. Rovers, Limerick. Um, Cork against Bray at home. Um, celebration night, trophy night. I don't know how you feel about that. Like, there could be goals in that game. It just could be a sort of a again a bit scatty end of season mm-hmm. game where it's a bit bit chaotic. Maybe Cork will finish with a win. Although those those trophy games, it's just an anti climax. It's all waiting for the yeah for the the thing later and, on. And obviously Harry Kenny's last game as well. Yeah, and I mean, this is the there's a lot of people's last games uh, this week. We just don't know it yet. We are we are in that period of change, and I mean, next week we'll be able to maybe take stock a bit more on the on the league season. We'll have a cup final to look ahead to, um, but it's the end of a uh, quite a few uh, eras. I'm sure we'll just find yeah. out how many how many of them to prove to be. I mean, I know Shane Supple announced and Rob Cornwall at Bowes and we might see some stuff and John Caulfield certainly wants to get some stuff done before the cup final. Stephen Kenny's given us obviously a bit of news from their side of things but uh, it is a, as much as the league season ends it's possibly the busiest couple of weeks of the year for managers coming up now. 
Yeah, it's been a dramatic season as we expected and not over quite yet. And who knows, you know, all those Galway United fans, Pats fans and Sligo, maybe there is another twist or turn. We don't know. Um, but I, I think it's been a compelling season, really. I've enjoyed it greatly. And uh, it's just uh, a shame, I suppose, that three clubs have to go down in some respects. But that was uh, really enjoyable to have Stephen on. Um, it was actually hard enough interview in the sense that there's so much to get through and not enough time Dan really I mean we couldn't go through, it wasn't like a, an autobiography we started one. off on that line and then I sort of realised halfway through I was like writing a little note got here it. going we got we're, never, we're never going to be able to, to I wanted to, to bring Longford and Derry in and um, I suppose particularly Longford as well because first division clubs we don't we don't cover the first division as much as we'd like in some respects but it is difficult as well and um that's where it all began for him, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people in the league who've started in the first division. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's been a reasonable breeding ground in recent years. Even some of that UCD squad we touched on, Paul Corey and people like that. Um, but again, that's a we, we say this a lot. That's a debate for another day. You I know, saw Gary Rogers a, tweeting today how um, he played for St. Francis. I don't even remember that. Oh, he did, yeah. St. Francis match programme. Uh, we ever, we Baldonnell. Ever, we Baldonnell. Many, many times. Mm. Unbelievable playing surface. Like, it was... a Obviously, fairly. It was like a non-league pitch, but a beautiful playing surface. Pristine. And you, yeah, there was no real terrace as such, so you were always at ground level sort of watching the game. Julian Canny, my mate, I remember he used to count the crowd and there were 19 people at a game when the teams came out one time against Cove and... Um, that may or may not have included the teams, actually, I don't know, but he was one of them. I think that was the season when he went to every, he went to like 100 games in the League of Ireland. Uh, he met his girlfriend and now wife since. Um, <laughs> so that was week 36 anyway. Best luck to all the clubs involved uh, in the last uh, series of games. We've really enjoyed it. We're not finished yet, obviously, in LOI Weekly. We'll be back next week. Uh, but that was in association with uh, Airsport and Independent.ie. And uh, thank you all very much for listening and major thanks to Stephen Kenny. <laughs>